Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm, you say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Script Shop, our podcast where we talk to screenwriters. Uh, My name is Jack, and I just logged off of Twitter because there's some kind of wrestling thing going on. And, like, I was going to catch up on my feed real quick before we started recording. Yeah. And then I saw, like, just there's people that I follow that really like it, and I just, oh, I'm out. So I'm not on Twitter right now. Is it When you say you logged off, you Mm. actually. I just closed the window. Oh, okay, because. I feel like logging off is making a much bigger statement. Yeah, no, I don't mean like that. I, I deactivated my account or anything like that. <laughs> I just, I just closed. I logged. Off. I'm not, I'm not checking Twitter right now, nor do I plan to be for the rest of the night. So if you need anything from Jack, mm-hmm. you're not getting it. Is yeah, what you're saying? There's wrestling something happening, and I'm just, I'm out. That's it. What do you mean? What do you mean wrestling something? There's some happening? sort of like wrestling event that's the being Iron on. Sheik is coming back. I don't know about that specifically, okay, but okay. I just saw people in my feed were tweeting about wrestling, and I'm, just, I'm out. I, I don't. I don't. I, that's, I'm You're not, not going to partake in things that your friends are interested in. Listen, there's a lot of dorky stuff that I'm into that fills up a lot of real estate in this head of mine. And yeah. there's, but but there's certain things that aren't. And and wrestling's one of them. I just I, I used to like it as a kid, and I'm just I, I don't care now. <laughs> I've grown. You've grown. This You've grown. really matured. Oh, this is Allison. Oh yeah. In case you couldn't tell, this is our screenplay our podcast. Our screenwriting podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm uh, being very judgy over here about Jack's intro. That's okay. I'm being judgy about other people's stuff, so it's fine. Uh, Welcome to Script Shop. Script Shop is where we talk to screenwriters about what they want to write about. We don't like to listen to Twitter people about what they like to write about, apparently. What do you know? It's okay. But if you're a screenwriter, (laughs) then we love, love, love diving into your mind and trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And in today's case, we have a very unique and very specific mindset between two people, Jeremy Herbert and Wolf Stahl, who have written a script called Another Harpersville Massacre. Another Harpersville Massacre. Another one. It's a 116-page, gory, irreverent, fun, whodunit feature. There you go. And I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to the guys about it. Me too. I think my first question is I need to know if we need to see the original Harpersville Massacre to know the, the another one. If you need... Like it's a funny name for a sequel. Yeah, right. Another Harpersville Massacre. <laughs> they just ran out of. They, they decided to stop doing the numericals two, three, yeah, and four. And they just, were like hey, Harpersville Massacre one. two. Yeah, right. No, no, no. Let's be original. Let's make it another one. Let's make it another one. Mm. Uh, we are also on the internet. Uh, I am on Twitter as at Script Shop Jack, and I am at your bestie Westie and, with IES. Oh yes, that's right. And it's just a fun thing to say. Too. It is a fun thing to say. We're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Script Shop itself is on uh, Twitter at Script Shop Show. And you, if you look up Script Shop Show on uh, Facebook and on Instagram, you can find us all there. We're also on Patreon, taking your Patreonage. If you want to send mm. us some money uh, because you like the show and you want to support us doing it, we would appreciate that. Just again, uh, you can look up Script Shop Show on Patreon. Um, if you like what we're doing or don't like what we're doing, you but can always leave us a review. Mostly if you do. Yeah, mostly if you do. Yeah. Go out of your way if you like us. Mm-hmm. That's actually what you want we want you to do. Yeah, if you're frustrated, don't try that hard. Just Fa- email me. Distract yourself with something else. Yeah. Go work out or something. Yeah. I hate Allison and Jack. Yeah. Pow, 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 pow. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> like you're creating like our script shop arch nemesis who just listens to the show but also hates us and then puts our faces on like a speed bag somewhere. <laughs> two redheads on two speed bags and they're just punching us. Probably somebody that likes wrestling and is upset about what I just did. This is maybe the inciting incident for all that stuff. Oh, man. What Allison's trying to say, though, is you can leave us a review on uh, iTunes uh, to help us sort of spread the word about the show and get it out there. And we'd appreciate that because we love doing the show. We love talking to writers, and we're just really psyched to be here. Yeah. So all of your feedback is appreciated. Absolutely. And um, don't forget, you can read the script online. So another Harpersville Massacre. Hit pause. Go read it now, because now we're going to talk to the fellas. Because now we're going to talk to Jeremy and Wolf. Hi, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty right. good. Uh, you know, I saw that. Uh, I'm not going to reveal. I don't need to reveal your location necessarily. But your I saw. Home address. I saw the phone number, and I believe you're in sort of a Northeast Ohio sort of region. Are you not? Oh, correct. Well done. I recognize the area code. I grew up in, in Northeast Ohio myself, so I, we, we may have some... You speak the same language yeah, here. geographic in common. Yep. We, we have the same attitude towards snow. Yes. What, you, what is that, my friends? It's that it's awful and that there's way too much of it specifically in Northeast Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. The uh the brief well the brief pause after saying that and then his response that's the attitude towards snow. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. Yes. I tell you what, moving to Cincinnati, I moved here about twelve and a half years ago, and the difference in climate is almost night and day. That's surprising. It's not that far. It's not that far, but it's enough where like I don't get that. We don't have that lake effect stuff here. So thanks for tuning into our regional weather discussion podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here going. Mm. We're gonna if we're gonna really drill down we're on all this. From Ohio, you know now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we don't often have uh, we have had some writing duos on in the past, but it's it's a it's a bit of a rare treat for us. Uh, I think the the first question is what how did you guys get together? What was your your writer meet cute moment? Uh, we both had a creative writing class when we went to Kent for about a day, mm-hmm. and that's where we met. And then he dropped the class. But in that <laughs> class, when we had an icebreaker, I took the opportunity to shamelessly promote the uh, the on campus weekly live tv show that i produced at the time perfect and then he showed auditions yeah mm. and they took me <laughs> he dropped mm. the class but he didn't drop you oh that's <laughs> that's adorable. wow i'm looking at him in a whole new life <laughs> <laughs> that's like the tagline for your for your autobiography film yeah for the story of yeah he for the story the class but he didn't drop you that's exactly right um so <laughs> Then one of you started working. Okay, that's the whole thing. Who's who produced the show, Wolf or Jeremy? Jeremy. Okay, me. Jeremy, you, and then you put Wolf on as a performer. Uh, I mean, kind of. The it, auditions were kind of ambiguous. Essentially, so long as you could read the prompter and you didn't faint, uh, and you could get on. But I think it was his application. Something he put down. <laughs> Uh, we set up landmines in the application to see if someone can make jokes. Uh, and I guess he did. I don't remember what you said. It's been a while. It's like six years. That's a smart idea. But all idea. that matters is he got on. Well, I was just commenting that that's a smart idea to yeah. set up landmines in this application. Like, I've never heard of maybe i've just missed the jokes the whole time yeah maybe and any of the ones i've gotten i've taken applications very seriously <laughs> name allison yes nailed it uh, that's that's i am mine one you know allison, that's not very creative. first opportunity to be funny yeah for sure uh allison with an ie that would be crazy yeah right don't go what you're going wild oh, so uh so you guys started working together on the show first mm-hmm. yes what was that like 
stressful. <laughs> <laughs> How come? Uh, so the timeline is that we would have a meeting on Mondays, uh, Monday night, to figure out what we're doing on the show, which aired live Thursday night. Uh, and then the cast and crew had to make 30 minutes of content from Monday to Thursday every week, uh, pretty much every week of a semester in between classes. Yeah, that's a bit of a grinder. I mean, that's a, that's a pressure cooker sort of creative situation for sure. Yeah. Uh, and when very quickly, either just by prior obligation or dedication, it, people shake out of it. And by the end of the semester, you have about half the people you start with. Yeah. But those are the people that are going to just keep plugging away. Yeah, because that. Yeah, because now you're 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 narrowing the field down. You're you're eliminating those that aren't really dedicated to it. And like you said, by the end of it, now you got the people that are actually into it. I dig that. Mm-hmm. So, and he stuck around for some yeah, reason for a year and a half, I think. Mm-hmm. I graduated. And then what did you do? Well, after graduation, I I I come from a farm, so I went back to my family farm and continued uh, plowing fields and picking apples. That sounds kind of okay. But, that I mean, that sounds kind of cool too. Like so, what no, were you? Not. It's actually really bad. I do not recommend it. <laughs> what were you studying in school? I was a finance major. Mm-hmm. And then you and didn't. Yeah, yeah. Why did you choose? Well, I got. I have a job now. I. <laughs> I I know that um, I sound like what, but I you know you were a finance major from a farm. You chose to go back to the farm. Was that just like one of those things that everybody does where they don't really have a job out of school? I mean, some people do, but not the cool ones <laughs> like myself. Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to find good help around here, you know, as my parents say over and over and mm-hmm. over as they try to get me to come back to the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just went back and worked for like a year. And then I found a new job as a uh, like a fraud analyst. And I'm doing that now and writing on the side. Mm-hmm. OK. And what about you, Jeremy? I my major was electronic media production. Uh, and I think I have a writing minor. I don't remember, but, um, essentially that's, you know, a $10 way to say making videos. Mm-hmm. Sure. I do AV work, uh, for a company that has spots all over essentially running kind of corporate conferences, video switching, uh, all that jazz. And then I write more recently, I started writing freelance for a bunch of different movie sites, uh, and then still making movies and such on the side. Mm-hmm. When did you guys start mm-hmm. writing together? It was sometime after, I think after I graduated, because I graduated a semester yeah, earlier like, than you. Probably 2016. Yeah. Around 2016. Um, yeah. And I think it was you who asked if, yeah, because yeah, you were like, uh, Wolf asked me, hey, do you want to write a script? Because I'd written some on my own because I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I was just up for a challenge. <laughs> yeah, there was a contest we were aiming at. We're like, yeah, we can do that. What was the spark in the contest what was that story about all it all the only guideline we had was that it needed to be neo-noir which is cool um and we're like oh we can do that uh and i forget what i remember what the the script was but i don't remember where it came from we had a bunch of different ideas we just kind of kept throwing out ideas that aligned with the contests like various conspiracies that kind of stuff yeah Eventually, we struck on something that we liked enough to write it, like flesh it out all the way. And, right. Uh, I think it took us about five or six months to write that. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the first draft, because it was just meeting on weekends. And yeah, then, I was still going to school. Yeah. And, yeah, you were working. Mm-hmm. 
So when you're doing that and you're sort of getting to know each other and the, the, the way the, that the other person writes and, and their strengths and weaknesses, what was that process like sort of figuring the other person out and knowing you know, what they prefer to do and where they can really excel? Absolute torture. Um, no, I, uh, I don't know. I don't think there was much of a conscious, like, us having to figure out how to mesh the gears. Yeah, we'd already worked together on a much, I mean, on like a different time frame, a different mm-hmm. scale. But mm-hmm. you do kind of learn, especially in something where you're creating every week, like we were to start, like, when someone tells you, like, hey, this, is, this isn't really working, you have to be like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. You have to, like, yeah. be able to really examine what you've done and kind of fix it yeah and part of that pressure cooker is uh i I think if you're smart in that environment you work with everybody because you Mm -hmm. very quickly figure out all right i i can handle this person this person we just don't mesh this person you could give us anything we'll figure something out uh because you you have a weekly test to see if it works (laughs) yeah that pressure cooker environment sounds so intense. Yeah, sure, but it's also it's a good, but it, like in terms of winnowing out the week and 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 figuring each other out very quickly. I, that sounds like you're when you put food in a pressure cooker, it doesn't take as long to to get ready to eat as if you put it in the oven. So that put you guys sort of maybe ahead of the curve as far as your your working relationship. Then I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's it's a little late for me to follow that entire <laughs> metaphor. However, <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> The, yeah, it, I was essentially like Saturday Night Live with no stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. The whole world is not watching. <laughs> <laughs> but we still have to turn well, something that, in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's week, week one. And this kind of this kind of affects what we do now. You have to make it on the weird dual assumption that nobody's watching, but you want someone to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just try not to disappoint your parents, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's always Whoa, that welcome to my life. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a lot of awkward. Keep making that noise. It's great. Um, okay, so you guys both said that you were doing writing on the side, and uh, you you seem to be pretty proficient screenwriters. The script reads like a breeze. Oh, Harpersville Massacre was a hoot. That, it, the, it's it, a it's hoot easy to read in a half. Yeah, um, you know you know how to format. You know all of that stuff. So as far as writers who write on the side, how did you both develop your let's say your unique writing processes, yeah. and how did you get to be so good? Wow, that. Those last few words really loaded this question. Um, <laughs> I love uh, making people feel uncomfortable, so you're welcome. <laughs> we're both blushing real hard. Uh, but I I don't know. It, I mean, in college, I, I was writing scripts in no readable form from somewhere in high school on uh, and just abusing Microsoft Word until it kind of looked like a script. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, some of it was working on the show because, th- again, if you have to write scripts for things uh, every week, you very quickly realize you cannot spend a f- any more than maybe three sentences in a paragraph describing something uh, because you have to finish writing it in an hour and you shoot it in the two hours after that. Um, so certainly that that winnowed it down for me. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know. Because uh, Wolf kind of comes from a different writing background than I do. Yeah, I uh, write poetry for the most part, mm. which, you know, doesn't really pay, which is why I'm a finance major. Uh, <laughs> mm. That's a smart but, way to pad your life, your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't want to go back to the farm. Um, so <laughs> with poetry, it's more of like economy of words right. and 
I do really strongly try to um, avoid getting bogged down when I write with like too much description or just like excessive lines. I'm really pretty adamant about kind of cutting that stuff out because I mean, obviously we we go through multiple times mm -hmm. and cut things out and add things as we go. So I really think that the script starts to take its best form around the second draft. I mean, that's usually when we start cutting enough stuff out for it to be like, hey, this is pretty good. How'd yeah. that happen? Yeah. In rereading the script yesterday, because we've not looked at it in maybe a year, mm -hmm. uh, we both thought there were parts in it that we cut out by the draft that you read. And we're like, oh, hey, this is better for not having that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's always a weird like learning curve to be on is, you know, the the embracing of being willing to kill your darlings, no sacred cows and like knowing that in the end, you're probably going to come out better for it almost every time. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I don't know this. This is a pretty harsh uh, way to say it, but certainly working on a show like that, um, at least for me, it got me used to the idea of like, all right, there's there's always kind of an invisible gun to your head. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta just keep churning and you gotta keep trimming and if, sooner or later though, you gotta just say, all right, that's as much as I want to touch this. I think it's good. We're done. Probably just when you get fed up with it, you think? <laughs> I, I don't know about that because certainly on the show, there would be video sketches where it's like, all right, we could keep editing this into oblivion, but also the show is in three hours. Yeah. It's yeah. done. It's yeah. Let's not look at this again. Mm-hmm. So for this script specifically, uh, the way that you guys developed it, was it the idea that one of you came to the other and said, hey, let's do a thing about a, a lunatic that kills people in a, in a small town? Or you're, are, you, are you building the whole thing up and just sort of seeing where the story takes you? What, what, what's the process between the two of you on creating this script specifically? Uh, this was actually a pretty convenient 50-50 split, I yeah. would say. Because as we were winding down on the first script, we were talking about, all right, what do we want to, what do we want to do next? And um, I had the idea, I, I essentially, I don't know if I want to call it a twist, but the twist of the story. Mm -hmm. um, and anybody who hasn't read it so far, I'm sorry, uh, you had your chance. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the notion that in any given horror movie, the sheriff always, in a slasher movie, the sheriff always survives. What if it's just him mm -hmm. over and over again in different ways? Uh, and I had that idea and I think I outlined some of it, but I got sort of to the end of the first act. And I'm like, I don't, there's not enough for a move. I don't know what happens now. So I brought it to Wolf. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? Uh, well, I had basically the idea um, in this small town that's kind of near where I grew up. They always have a seasonal apple butter, apple butter festival where they make apple butter i guess and okay. it's just like a little event and i was like huh how about this but with murderers <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where that that slant came mm -hmm. from i guess and then um yeah from there we just kind of developed it bit by bit we outlined the whole thing and then mm -hmm. you know make our tweaks and eventually you got what you read mm -hmm. yeah yeah so listeners basically what happens because you didn't read the script. That's why I'm having to tell you, go back and do your homework. <laughs> so what happens in this wonderful story is, uh, murder is kind of a big deal, except in Harpersville where it's just another murder that every single year, some psychopath wearing some weird costume and usually wielding gardening equipment at some point comes in, <laughs> you know, he's like the clown with the shears yep. or the whatever comes in and just murders a lot of people. And so everybody's 
people say they don't move away because the rent is good. It's a it's a beautiful, <laughs> idyllic, small town in yep. America, except for the fact that once a year you got to deal with this. Yep, and it, it's pretty gory. The script is they are. You guys came up with some very creative ways to kill people. It's not just as boring as dude with a gun, dude with a gun, dude with a gun. You're very descriptive, too, which I appreciate. It yeah. freaked me out. Thank you. That's, that's pretty much slasher currency is how creative can you end somebody. Yeah, I mean, that's half of the challenge of writing a story like this, right, is you got you got to sort of top your – you got to top things you've already seen, and then if you have a couple good kills early on, you got to sort of keep topping yourself as it goes along, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a weapon toward the end that Wolf suggested uh, that I had to Google every time to spell it. Oh, the uh, Macaludo, the Obsidian Edge Club. Yeah, I was. Yeah, good. Like, I'm glad you great. said that. I can't spell this, but great. Do you guys? Do you just like riff on ways to kill people? Yeah. <laughs> then, well, now when you put it that way, it sounds bad. <laughs> we mean um, in a fun way. Is it funnier if I laugh when I say it? Yeah, we can chuckle do and be polite. Do you guys just like riff on ways to kill people? <laughs> That was worse. Uh, <laughs> that was way worse. I don't know. Did we riff that much about murder? Uh, I remember the flamethrower thing was a topic of much debate. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys gets flamethrowered in a shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we really thought about that like, for a long time. Uh, I don't know why. Like the physics of it, I think. Yeah, like, sure. would it work? Yeah. Is this actually Probably. something that would be yeah. realistic? <laughs> yeah. In this script, listeners, we have all the ways that people can die. And then what ends up happening is one, you know optimistic journalist who's decided that he wants to make a story out of this town he can't believe that it isn't a thing that nobody makes a bigger deal out of the fact that there's a there's a regular series of serial killings in this town but he gets there and he wants to do an expose and everybody in the town's like look man this is just the way it is here we've had reporters show up before one of the things i really love about this script is how things that you're playing out in your head as cliff this reporter who's like sort of the point of entry into this story the guy that shows up in this town and is trying to figure it all out things that you think of as to well what about this and what about that that you guys address it in the script the sheriff's like nope we tried that we've had reporters here before they either get killed or they turn out to be the bad guy and nothing ever goes anywhere and i'm telling you dude if you just leave us alone everything will be fine it it's certainly you know there's a there's a big pill to swallow with the concept. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being a big topic of discussion. How do we how do we sell that this town exists and no one cares? Right. People are used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it came down to like one line really from the newspaper editor. Uh, well, no, there are two. Someone says, would you uh, – you can only report about so much gun violence in Chicago. And mm-hmm. someone else says, would you try to stop an earthquake? Stop an earthquake. I, I made a um, note of that. That earthquake line yeah. really did it for me. Um, cause, and, and, you know, to some extent, if you, if someone reads this and stops, cause how dare us, it's not realistic. Uh, you got us. I don't know what you want. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in rereading it. I, I, I believed it, you know, we sold it. I think, <laughs> I I think so. I think I think it's it's a challenging conceit, but I think when you make the comparison to, to earthquakes, people are adaptable. We're willing to tolerate a lot of misery that may come on a regular basis. We've got there there are there are you know you're on, you're in the northeast part of this area in, in Pennsylvania and all that. There are there are faucets that catch fire because of fracking. There, there's there's lead in water places. People but people are still there. You just we're willing to take a lot of punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You Ohio. I mean, if the rent's good. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the Red Scooting, they, they, and there's constant references to this coffee place, which it must be fantastic, the one cup. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Enough to keep you there. I kind of thought for a while, because of all the references to the coffee place, that somehow the coffee played a role, like, because you kept sort of peppering it in there. I thought maybe the coffee was what was fueling all these killings. <laughs> Blown away. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it was fueling uh, the killer. Uh, But that's fun. We didn't even think about that. But that's one of the many uh, cast off uh, horror movie excuses for what can be going on. Like something's in the water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, An Indian burial ground or. And I like that, too, because uh, what we have is Cliff, the journalist, running into Rachel, a new um kind of cop in town yeah and she's not hardened to the fact that this is the way things are she's interested in looking things up at one point she gives cliff a bunch of research and it turns out that there's like there are ancient burials and the whole town was this or that and all these little tropes that you might get in a horror story you guys just kind of throw them in there for everything so that none of it makes sense and i think it's a really it's a really good way to sell the idea that yep this is just the thing and it it, it helps the reader or the viewer down the road whatever uh, be able to accept the conceit that yeah this is a town where murder is okay and we're willing to deal with it i think that you guys do a really great job of normalizing that within the context of the story which of course it isn't and that's why rachel and cliff start uncovering bingo the consistencies in the murder, um, figuring out the stuff about the ammo and the guns, I thought was really fun. Uh, it explained a lot about how the killer disappeared at the very beginning of the story, which was really clever, too. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys start plotting? <laughs> how did you guys start plotting out kind wow. of some of the reveal of the bad guy? Well, part of the reason I said I don't want to call it a twist is because you know, it's not. I feel like a lot of people. They, they should kind of figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and half the fun is, uh, uh, it's the difference between what, a whodunit and a how catch him, I think is the equivalent where it's like, all right, then the fun becomes, how's he do it? Yeah. How has he gotten away? How will he get caught? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, cause obviously that was in the earliest outline. We're like, all right, he's the bad guy. Uh, do, do you remember if we scooted it around? Like how late we found out? Uh, yeah, I think at one point it was almost like immediately very obvious. And we were like, well, that's not really tense. You know, there's no, yeah, no tension there. Yeah. So, uh, to me, I kind of view it almost more as like a monster movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the thing about a monster movie is everyone loves to see the monster. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, Ooh. show the monster. And, it, and I remember that being a topic of the, of much discussion is when we first show the monster uh without a mask it has to be a, a pretty has to be pretty dark. shocking yeah. scene uh and that yeah i think we i oh, think we did it yeah you re- guys re- nailed it because that's the whole the <laughs> high school party massacre isn't it uh, yep yeah that's you know and when jack and i were prepping for the interview right before this i was like well these guys are irreverent they kill a a whole house of teenagers, which I really don't want to say that in such a jovial tone because that's a serious matter. But in this script, <laughs> it's you, great. you really, <laughs> really shocked it. The whole thing with them setting the three guys on fire as they left the house. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, what about those guys that are watching as I'm reading the script? And he just throws that thing at them and whoop, there they go. Oh, yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> she liked it. <laughs> I feel bad um, for liking it. <laughs> well, it, the funny thing is, like, there are a lot of horror movies that essentially do that same thing, but just spread that one scene to two hours. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, we, we killed a we, yeah we killed a bunch of teenage kids. Um, but we didn't in the like, script. In the yeah, script. in the script. Um, it's called but, research. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, like you said, but it, we wanted it to be shocking, uh, and not the kind of a running a running discussion. And I say we had a lot of discussions, and we did because any script you start, you kind of know what the problem's going to be. Yeah, or could be. This one was tone. Yeah. All day. Sure. Yeah. Um, and like, okay, how do we go from a movie uh, that I'm trying to think of a, a particularly goofy joke? Oh, actually, the Red Festival, the oh, Red oh, Eating oh, Contest. Gosh. Yeah. yeah, I forgot. Um, <laughs> the scene where um, Father uh, O'Hulahan, O'Halloran. Yeah, I think O'Hulahan. Um, the father uh, prays at, for the fallen people at the high school uh quotes a bible verse about clean hands and then gets off stage to open up the rib eating contest yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you have that gag in a movie and then also like a jet black massacre mm-hmm. um yeah. where a cop just kills a bunch of kids mm-hmm. yeah tone i mean yeah and it, but i think but i think you really it's really consistent and i think you sell it the whole time at no point yeah. did I ever feel horrified that things had gotten too gratuitous. I think from, because you're setting the tone early on, right? The movie, the script opens with it's, it's homecoming and all the kids are doing like an eighties themed homecoming. And this nut job in a baseball themed outfit has already killed like half of the kids in the school. And I think, and, and it's, it's exciting and it's scary, but then as you build into some other characters and bring things out and you're establishing that this is a weird sort of town and this is the way things go. You're making references to, well, that was the year that, oh, 95 was the mime. No way, that was the space mime. Yeah, those are hilarious. Yeah, and so you're, I think you're, the, you're the able Phantom to juggle it. Yeah, you juggle me. it really well. Thank you. There, somewhere there's a Google Doc where we, I think we listed out. Yeah, we had to get the timeline straight. There's like 30 different killers. Killers that mapped out. <laughs> that was absolutely uh, one of my questions. If you guys have a list of every year what the theme was. Yeah, because we, we, uh, we kept writing kind of con- conflicting monsters and as we reread like the second or third time we were like oh oh no 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 the the ghost truck can't be here this is the mime year of course (laughs) what a fool yeah normal script discussions perfect i wish somebody would stumble upon your notes and be like like wolf if your parents saw they'd be like oh my god wolf what are you doing get back to the farm (laughs) you know i was gonna say that the other thing about having everything plotted out year by year by year is that you start building the psyche into the killer and something that i really appreciated is at the end when the sheriff is talking with his daughter it it, you know she she is asking that why question really and you guys really bring it home which is that you know he can't help it it's just part of who he is, and he always wanted it to stop. He was hoping her mother would stop it mm-hmm. pretty much by killing him, but but she couldn't do it, and so he just he just continued on. And you guys don't make light of the fact that this person is a killer. You know, it's not a trope. It's not – it's a fleshed-out person who just does this. And I think that you very succinctly and smartly pull that together at the end, which I appreciate. I'm, I'm glad uh, the ending – was stuck for you yeah uh because that was yeah that was again something that we juggled a lot is how does how does this wrap up in any kind of satisfying uh way that doesn't make light of it but also doesn't suddenly strive for 
sentiment that we we the rest of it doesn't earn right yeah. and again that gets back to your struggles with tone and i think you guys really nailed it yeah i i think a big part of uh the rewriting and editing process was making sure that there's enough not like sentimentality but like reason for people's actions or effects that was the big one is like yeah. how people deal with living at this place like um early on there's a scene where leslie's hiding under her bed right after the massacre she's got a knife and it's like she's very obviously like traumatized. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I feel like you don't really see in a lot of like horror movies in general is the aftermath. Yeah. Like how these things linger in people. And I, I kind of wanted to get that across when I was writing. And that's that's one of those things. A lot of slashers, well, most slashers end with, you know, a twist in the tail that Jason jumps out of the lake. The kid's not really dead, et cetera, right. et cetera. Uh, but like the ones that don't where it's like the survivors got away. That's the least happy, happy ending pot. The one that's the it's the most happy, unhappy ending for mm -hmm. that movie because all of them are gonna be ruined for life. Yeah. yeah. And yep. that was that was another kind of jumping off point. We're like, what happens after the credits roll? Yeah. How much realism do we bring in here? Yeah. How uncomfortable does it get? <laughs> well, and yeah, and in and in that vein, the the ending is pretty ominous at the end because yeah. now you've got the you got the daughter in the kitchen she, she she's just learned all this stuff about her father who's now maybe gone she kills probably him. gone yeah she kills him right i know but there's a there's a little joke about how did you find anything in the field and they say oh, no yeah, oh, that's just right. <laughs> but like she's in the kitchen she's looking at a whole bunch of knives and sort of seeing her reflection like maybe this is going to keep going family. yeah yeah well, the whole thing with uh, her, you know, about to kill her father, you wonder if she's going to be able to do it or not. It's, yeah. it's that old age old question. Does the good guy suddenly become the bad guy by killing the bad guy? Mm -hmm. And I, she does it. I'm glad she does. It. It's very satisfying. But then it opens up this whole thing. Is she cut from the same cloth as her dad? Now that she's gotten a taste for blood. Yes, I just wet her whistle for right. murder. You know, which is which is what he goes out telling her. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, hope chest's hers someday. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's explain that. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I forgot. I think I think that was another ending. Yeah. No, the hope chest is uh, his secret layers in there, remember? Yeah. So he says earlier on, he's like, someday the hope chest will be yours. You know, it's... Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. um, Just but, but there, I, uh, there was another ending we had briefly that, like, the very end of the movie is her opening the hope chest or something. Yeah, we're like, end. eh. A little too on the nose. Yeah, a little more ambiguous. Yeah. yeah, no, I really like the ambiguity of just her with the knives and the the possibility that, you know, if, if, if there was a, another another Harpersville massacre, you know, maybe she would want to either enough, join in. Enough. Yeah, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe she would want to join in. Maybe she would want to fight against whatever this new threat is. Like, that could be a, a, a fun through line for, for yet another Harpersville massacre. <laughs> if this one's about how do you how does the end of a slasher, how do you carry on? I, how do you carry on after the end of the end of a slasher? <laughs> I have no idea. Only one way to find out for you guys to write it. That's it. Ooh. It's a tall order. We're gonna I go don't know ahead. if we should start writing a franchise when the first one has not been bought at all. This is the, the, the another Harpersville Massacre cinematic universe. We're building some things. We can do some side stories with, with the other cops and everything. But, yeah, we got you. There's you got, plenty of cops. Well, there's only, like, how many left alive? Yeah, you got a couple two? new guys there at the end. That's right. This is a tentpole. We've we got to plan some things out now. Uh, I another mean, Harpersville each of the Massacre past the series. could be its own movie. That's it. Yeah. Or a series. It could be a whole, a whole season. Every single murderer could be a that season. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go ahead and read from your script because uh, even though we're going to read 
a little bit more of the character-driven moments. Uh, there's some nice, funny stuff in here too. Oh, I love the uh, this interaction. I love this one. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and turn y'all's mic off for just a, a hot second. And uh, okay. Frank and Jack are both smiling because I said y'all. She just said y'all's <laughs> apropos of nothing. <laughs> there's two of them. That's fair enough. All right. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, so we'll talk to you guys in a moment. We'll talk to y'all in a moment. And so, listeners, today we are going to be reading from script page 65. It starts with Interior Rachel, Rachel's Cruiser Day. Jack's going to be reading for the reporter Cliff, which he's very well suited for, being mm. a journalist himself. Well, I'm going to be reading for Rachel, which I'm very well suited for, being bossy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And Frank is going to read our action headings, which he's very well suited for because he's a GD professional. Just Frank's an action man. Ooh, that's nice. Frank's a man of action. Okay. There you go. All right. So at this point in the story, uh, we're a little ways into it. They have, uh, this is Cliff and Rachel in her squad car. They're trying to get out of town to buy bullets because they've realized that all of the police guns are shooting blanks. And that's part of the reason why this serial killer seems to keep winning and coming yeah. back over and over again because the cops don't realize that they're shooting with blanks. They try to get out of town, but one of the deputies who's working for this evil sheriff but doesn't know that the sheriff is bad news has just said, sorry, folks, uh, sheriff's called a town meeting and you all need to get back into town. Mm-hmm. And at this point now, Cliff is just desperately overwhelmed with all this stuff. He's so over having trying to cover this story. And Rachel is in the midst of they're both very much in over their yeah, heads. Yeah, because once Cliff rolled into town, two murders have already happened. Yeah. So he's been there for like 24 hours and two new murders have happened that were very close to where he was. Yeah, they're both kind of fed up at this point, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Frank. Whenever you're ready. Interior. Rachel's Cruiser. Day. The cruiser is silent until Cliff starts to hyperventilate. Can you pull over? Rachel jolts toward him. What? Why? Cliff's face flushes red. Just pull over! Exterior, Camp Nescopec. Entrance, day. Rachel's cruiser pulls into a gravel drive. Weeds crowd around the chain gate. Behind, in the underbrush, lurks a fallen sign for Camp Nescopec. Cliff tears out of the car, staggers to some bushes... He heaves like a dying animal. (laughs) Nothing comes out but the terrible noise. Rachel jumps out of the car after him, her concern dissolving into instinctual disgust. Oh, uh, I'm... You all right? (laughs) Yeah, peachy. Cliff wipes his mouth with a sleeve. Is there anything I... Cliff spins around, almost falling. What are we doing? I'm... What... What the hell are we doing? Rachel takes a few steps toward him. I didn't ask for this. I just didn't want to have to take fucking pictures of migrating lizards anymore. What? It's a metaphor. Rachel flinches. I just wanted to be a real reporter with real stories and and, 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 and real paychecks, and now I'm going to get real murdered. Rachel steps toward him. You are a real reporter, Cliff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He laughs madly, pulls out his press pass, throws it at her. I stole that. Rachel looks at someone else's face sitting in the gravel. And now I'm going to die for it. Cliff shakes his head. Rachel picks up the pass. You know, your head isn't the only one on the chopping block. Cliff looks at her with failing strength. I bounced around from sheriff's office to sheriff's office, and they were all the same. One deputy hits on you. The other hates you. The closest they let you get to crime scenes is the paperwork. I didn't take that. So they'd make it worse, and I'd leave. Why give them a hobby, right? Cliff stands carefully. Even if I did get my chance, 
not to show them up, but just to do my job? For what? Pulling over drunk hicks and shutting down noise complaints? If I was going to put up with the bullshit, I needed a good reason. I needed to protect people, save lives, solve something for Christ's sake. Harpersville was the best way to prove myself, to prove I could do the job, because nobody here seems to want to. She throws Cliff the pass. And you convinced me that was your job, too. Cliff breathes harshly. (sighs) Don't you give us journalists too much credit. He stands, brushes himself off, surveys the area. He stares down the long, overgrown path to the camp. So, what do we do now? Cliff turns back to Rachel. They just look at each other. I don't know. Good, me me neither. He walks over to the cruiser and leans against his door. We know one of your uh, co-workers had to be involved, right? Yes. We've now successfully reviewed everything we know. Cliff looks up. No more fear in his face. I've only met those guys once, and I could probably place any one of them. You only saw the thing long enough to shoot it, but maybe one of the kids got a better look. We'll have to wait until Monday to get them all together again. I think I can do you one better. You want to go to a party? End scene. End scene. I love how that's those two just both get to have a moment, guys, where they're both at the end of their ropes. I'm sick of this. I don't want to get killed. I came here for very specific reasons. They both did, and they both get to have this like sort of freak out moment together. Like what the what the hell am I doing with my life? Yeah. <laughs> well, I and I think that's you can't let too much air into a concept like this, or else it's all dumb. Mm-hmm. And part of it was we needed we needed the characters to reach a point where they stood back and said, "What we're going to die. Yeah. There's no way to win this. Um, and that's what you read, essentially. You, you think having them get to the end of the rope just really let them reevaluate and start fresh or take it more seriously? Uh, I mean, it. Hmm. that's certainly the point where Cliff decides, you know, what he's made of. Uh, because the whole movie, we kind of consciously make it clear he is not the gun-toting hero yeah. uh, that the audience might want to be following or might expect to be following. Um, I like that character moment uh, for Rachel because, like, from her point of view, she came basically to prove herself, mm-hmm. and she did. She killed the monster in the opening scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the monster's alive still. So it's, it is that kind of, like, disbelief. Like, oh, actually, they were right. This is, this is like, magic. What's going yeah. on? Like, <laughs> That's true, yeah. and for her, and as a, she's like, "Well, now I have to prove magic wrong." Well, yeah, and for her as a character, yeah, to know that you did beat the thing, but you're not, you, but you haven't succeeded in the end, and this get, and this then reinforces what everybody else is telling her: where we've all tried everything, this is always a thing. You yeah. better just give up. That that shows the strength of her character to not give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I do like the one scene where the sheriff is in the coffee shop, and he's the one tell, telling the tales, spinning his yarns. Yeah. That's where I started going, mm-hmm, I know what's happening here. Lo and behold, I was supposed to feel smart in that moment, and I did. <laughs> so when other people read this, how do they take it? Uh, mostly they're shocked that the presumed main character dies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that, brutal. too. It's, it's, there's no mercy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. There was a friend of ours who read it, uh, and he was like, I got to that point, and, you know, one shot, okay, I thought they'll be down for the count and come back at the optimal moment in the closing minutes. 
Uh, and then uh, we had someone shoot that person directly in the head. Right. right. Yeah. Fast. Very uh, quickly, too. Well, what you guys do is set up Cliff to sacrifice himself. He gets into a tussle and then does get shot right in the head. Yeah, and usually the conceit in movies like this is if you are going to be the guy that says, you know what, you gals run, I'm going to hold them off. And usually that's some sort of redemptive thing where it you get a pass to actually survive whatever this thing you're willing to stand up against is. But, I mean, Cliff did what he said he was going to do. He, he, he went in, he fought the thing, and he lost like he was expecting to. I think yeah. that's a great – you talk about twists. I think that's a really good twist. Yeah, in terms of a twist, that would definitely be it, I think. Well, and he opens the movie uh, lying, yeah. <laughs> committing a, a very big ethical breach. So mm-hmm. it kind of only made sense that what's the last thing uh, he does? Uh, he sticks to his word yeah. in yeah. the worst way. I love when he's, you know, he's telling him about what he's about to do. Mm-hmm. And Rachel's like, oh, it's Cliff, I just, blah, blah, blah. and he says, save it. This is starting to feel like a eulogy. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, he's dead. There he goes. <laughs> That was that was very clever. It was very poignant. Mm-hmm. He's dying. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that worked and wasn't just like ah. Uh, would someone say that right before they're gonna die? The I mean, a, I feel it. like a writer would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't be sacrificing myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the one that lives at the end here. Were there previous versions of the script where, say, Cliff makes it out alive, or was he always was it always a foregone conclusion that he was not going to make it? I don't think we ever intended for him to live. Um, there's a lot of it throughout the script where it's kind of obvious that he's not really, like, good at this. <laughs> like, the first time he holds a gun, mm-hmm. he points it at himself, and then <laughs> Rachel's like, hey, stop, don't do that. <laughs> I think because your tone is such that things can be funny, you know, you hide a lot of those things that might be premonitions to the end as jokes. And then, well, the knives are another perfect example when yeah. they're all in the mini-mart looking for weapons and um, the daughter comes out and she's holding knives. We see her with them as as potential weapons. And then at the end, we see her with them in a new light as potential tools. And that's wonderful. Thank you. I, I, you mentioned um, the sheriff's diner speech. Uh, and I, in rereading the script, I forgot how many diner speeches we give him. Uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to say the, the touchstone for that, if you guys know off the top of your head, uh, the infamous Phoebe Cates speech from Gremlins. Oh, geez, it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we're in the middle of a, a seemingly, you know, lighthearted kind of. Well, it's not lighthearted. It's, it's a, a festival. Yeah, it's a, um, but in the middle of like Gremlins, she talks about how she hates Christmas because her dad uh, dressed as Santa, came down the, the chimney, broke his neck, got stuck, and the family didn't know yeah. until the smell. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was in Gremlins. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, <laughs> that's um, gruesome. That was. That was kind of a conscious uh, touchstone where it's like these stories have to walk a similar line of like he he makes jokes during the story to the people in the diner. But the story is like abject horrifying. terror. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's where a lot of that feeling came from. Uh, we had to, you know, you, you can't make it too goofy and you kind of have to make it seem like he doesn't realize how 
horrifying these folksy stories are, which is in itself a clue as to why you might guy. not find these so horrifying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and you talk about tone again, the, that Gremlins, if I'm not mistaken, was the very, that was the movie that they invented the PG-13 rating for, because I think up to the, up to that point, there had been G and PG and then R, and you get a movie like Gremlins where the tone is not just strictly a family movie, not just a hard, violent, scary movie. It's somewhere in between. And I, not unlike what you guys have written here, I think in terms of tone, walking certain lines and being able to dip a toe into a, a joke here and there and then a brutal head chopping or, you know, whatever killing later on. I think it all works together really well. That that was that was the million dollar question uh, as we wrote it. If it would if it, if any of it would, uh, you know, fall into step. Uh, so that's great. I mean, we the script has not to uh, not to advertise ourselves, but the script is been a finalist i think at four festivals Yay. perfect um and so i mean that's that's feedback but obviously there's not you don't get details from that other than good job um so it's it's nice to hear someone say that it, it works uh pretty much throughout mm-hmm. yeah nothing yeah. about it felt off-putting to me at all it, i really enjoyed it and the com like you said jack is very consistent mm-hmm. comedy is consistent all the way through one of my favorite moments being after the big cornfield burns up and Father O'Hulahan's looking at it, and he goes, oh, my God, how are they going to top this for next year? Right. <laughs> After they've just killed the sheriff. That's but, of right. course, he thinks it's going to happen again. Yeah, he that's thinks so the funny. thing is still a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's yet another one. <laughs> so, guys, do you do you have plans currently for you want to sell this? Are you working on producing it? Is there yet another Harpersville short film massacre. You know what? What ideas do you have about getting this produced? Uh, uh, well, uh, this for a start. Uh, but I, I, you know, if someone were to email us tomorrow and say, "Can we buy it?" We'd probably be like, "Sure." Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I direct shorts. I'd love to direct this if someone. You know, a lot of money. If a bank truck <laughs> crashed into my apartment tomorrow, yeah, I'd love mm. to make this. Um, but right now there's no, there's no necessary plan for it, uh, besides just sending it to festivals. What are you guys looking to do anything on the festival circuit this uh, coming year? Uh, well, we're currently writing a new, uh, feature length script called, uh, what's it called now? The other Poseidon adventure. Yes, the other Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that follows suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I give a synopsis. Yeah, just give a synopsis. Yeah. Uh, it's about a cruise ship that gets attacked by the Greek god Poseidon. Mm-hmm. Okay. The tagline is Poseidon shows up in this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good for you guys. <laughs> well, Cincinnati has a really cool film festival called the Sendependent Film Festival, so you should look into it because yeah. we will all be there this August, and we'd love to see you there. I think I might have sent um, the latest short I made there. What is it? Uh, What's it called? It's actually, uh, it's called the thing about Beecher's Gate. Um, the uh, one of your past guests, uh, Garen Perina, I think she told me about. It was a Cincinnati Film Festival, and I, and I submitted to it. Excellent. And I want to say that was the one. Okay, well, yeah, that's definitely how we met Garen. We yeah, having her on the show. Uh, well, in fact, I think she was our first guest coming out of when we did this independent film festival for the first time uh, last year, our inaugural year. Oh, I got you. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so if somebody wanted to get in touch with you about this screenplay, if they wanted to give you a ton of money, what's the best way for somebody to, to contact you? Yeah. If you look at um, 
literally at D-Day, just capital D-D, lowercase A-Y, uppercase films, D-Day films. That's, that's Dangerous Days Productions is essentially what the movies I make are under, and Wolf helps with the movies. It's a, it's a group of people. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I run, I think that's me on, on pretty much all social media, uh, so you can get in touch with me that way. If you're dying to, to know more. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why wouldn't uh, they be? I, uh, I could be reached at, at generic underscore W at Twitter. I don't know why you'd want to talk to me, but if, <laughs> if you're into it, I guess you can, you can chat. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for talking about your work today. It's crazy. It's very cool. It's and a blast. I, I totally dig it. Yeah. Thanks for sending it into us, guys. We really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for getting back to us. I know, I know it's been a while. I didn't know if you forgot us. No, that's just our bad. Just trying to figure out how to manage all the great scripts we're getting. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. exactly. But we're, we're catching up. Uh, you turned that into a compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate your time. All right. That is Jeremy and Wolf. I, you, honestly, if I can read a horror script and not freak out about it, mm -hmm. their comedy is right on the money because I get so queasy about some gory stuff. Sure. You know, especially about kids being murdered. It freaks me out. <laughs> murdered. Murdered. Yeah. Well, listen, that's honestly, if you're listening to this show and you, you haven't read the script yet, go back and, and give it a try. Give it a few pages, and I guarantee yeah. the next thing you know, you'll be like 30 pages into it. It's so good. And be wanting to finish it. It's, it's so it's, funny. It's a blast. It's, it's freaky. It's great. It's freaky fun. Uh, if you have written something freaky fun or if there's <laughs> something that's funny freak or I don't know, if you've written something that's a script, you should send it to us is what I'm trying to say here. Mm -hmm. And you can do that just like these guys did by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit and sending us your work. You can also contact us in various ways on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Allison, what are some of those some ways? Some of those ways might be Facebook, they might be Instagram, and they might be Twitter. So on Twitter, I am your bestie, Westy. And on Twitter, I'm at Script Shop Jack. And you can also look up at Script Shop Show on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, where you can catch us on there online. That's right. Uh, Frank, is there anything else we need to tell the people about? We've mentioned Patreon. Look up Script Shop. Tell the people. You what can, shall uh, we tell the leave people? Us a, leave us a review, please. Thumbs up, like, smash that notification bell. All those things. You'll what up, I fam? roll at Jack. <laughs> I love it. I but love we do it. love positive reviews. Negative ones, just email me. I'll talk to you directly. Okay. I'll see you outside. Allison's got to protect me because I'm like a hothouse flower. Mm-hmm. My little Jackie Jack. Yeah, just keep you me can, safe. Cannot take any criticism. Keep me safe from criticism. You can take you can take me poking fun at you all the time, though. That's fine. That's that's that's, that's me, different. That's me getting my like it's like the payment versus the lump sum when you, <laughs> when you hit the lottery. Uh, folks, thanks a lot. We appreciate you listening. Uh, please check. We have so much for you on scriptshopshow.com and on our feeds. We've got videos. Uh, there's a ton of stuff. Please, we'd love for you to check us out. Yeah. So until next week, friends. That's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening.